0: Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. You may be seated.
1: So, we're in our second week today in a series on the book of Exodus, looking at the, the life of Moses. We're talking about. We're calling it Following the Invisible God, and today we're going to be looking at a story that many of us have heard many times. I'm hoping that something a little bit different, something a little bit new comes out of it for us. This is the story where Moses receives his calling from God. Now, Moses's calling works a little bit differently than most of ours do, I think. Most of us Do not hear an audible voice from God speaking out of something like a burning bush. If you do hear an audible voice from God, I I do encourage you to to check it against Scripture and to check against the the testimony and beliefs of of other Christians in your life. But, But good, it's wonderful that he would communicate with you in that way. It doesn't happen very often. Now... For us, our calling might come in, a, in many different ways. Maybe through another believer saying something to us and something deep inside of us just clicks that this is what God wants me to do. Maybe as we're reading scripture at some point, God's Holy Spirit speaks to us in a powerful and prophetic way to tell us what he wants us to do. Or maybe it's a, from a prompt during a time of prayer, God's Spirit has spoken to you. Whatever the way... God's calling has come to us. We all have received one, though it looks a little bit different than Moses's. Now, for me, I think because I did not grow up in church, it's always been strange to me when I've encountered someone who does believe in God, but they don't feel compelled to pursue a calling. In other words, they, they believe in God, but they, they live like they don't. It doesn't have a powerful effect on their lives. For me, after after wrestling with for for quite some time whether or not God was real, once once I decided he was real, it was told to me by my mentor that now you need to figure out what he wants you to do. And I imagine all of us have had that moment, that moment where we have to decide, am I going to commit to him? Do I believe he's real? And if so, what does he want me to do? Because if he's real, then what his plans are for our lives are more important than what our plans are for our lives because we can trust him more than we can trust ourselves. And that's our single-sentence sermon summary today, uh, that God is always faithful and we can trust him more than we can trust ourselves. God is always faithful, and we can trust him more than we can trust ourselves. I want to start with a little bit of background today about what's going on in Exodus before chapter 3. Chapter 1 of the book of Exodus is this this story telling how God's people have gotten to the position that they're in. We know from the end of the book of Genesis that, that Jacob's sons were coming To live in Egypt. And apparently during that time. They were very fruitful. And the the group of Israelites. Of Hebrews. Grew tremendously. Grew large enough. That it seemed to the Egyptians to be a threat. And so Pharaoh. Enslaved the Israelites. But what they found was the harder. They punished them. The harsher they treated them. The more the Israelites grew. They would not diminish. And so out of fear and anxiety, Pharaoh orders, uh, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, Pharaoh orders that all Hebrew boys are to be thrown into the Nile River, all newborn Hebrew boys. But Moses's mother, who loved him, obviously, and did not want that to happen, she created a, a a little ark, a little boat, a little basket to put him in so he'd be safe or as safe as she could make him on the Nile River. And as he, he floats down a ways, he's found and saved by Pharaoh's own daughter. And she takes him in, and he's raised in Pharaoh's household, unbeknownst to him learning the etiquette and the laws and the religion of the land of Egypt in a way that was going to specially equip him for the calling he would have much later in his life. And then at some point, when he's about 40 years old, and we don't know why it happens, and this is in Exodus chapter 2, he sees one of his people being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster, and he can't take it. Perhaps this has happened before, and he had just not been caught, or perhaps this was the last straw, or perhaps he'd, he just newly connected his identity to his life. He lashed out, he killed the Egyptian taskmaster, and he had to flee Egypt because he was going to be caught. They wanted to put him to death for his crime, and so at 40 years old, he flees Egypt, and he goes into the desert of Midian, and as you might imagine, if you were traveling through a desert without a whole lot of time to prepare, he finds himself thirsty, and so he comes upon this well, and when he sees the well, he sees some shepherds harassing some young women, And kind of showing the kind of character that he would need for his calling later in life, he rescues the young women from the shepherds and tends to their flock. And their father wants him to come back, and so he does. And he's taken in by Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he marries one of Jethro's daughters, Zipporah. And they have a son named Gershom. And what that should tell us before we go any further is that Exodus chapter 2 is a wonderful place to go for children's names. If you are looking for any, Gershom and Zipporah. They could be Gershi and Zippy. It would be great. I want to heartily recommend those. The Old Testament has lots of gems like those ones. So that's Moses' story. And then for 40 more years, he's a shepherd in the desert of Midian. And so that's where we, we, we pick up the story with Exodus chapter 3. Now, you've all heard what comes next, right? Moses, he's, he's out, he's tending his flocks. And some, some, somehow he notices this bush, and this bush is on fire. Now, that on its own in a very hot and dry climate is not altogether unusual. When it's hot enough and dry enough, sometimes a bush can catch flame. But what was very odd is that it doesn't burn up. A bush in that kind of situation doesn't burn long because it's dry and it burns up. But as he's tending his flocks, he notices this fire just doesn't stop. It doesn't go away. So he comes up to the bush to investigate. And out of the bush, a voice speaks. And Moses receives his calling. God says, I'm going to use you to rescue my people. What he he says specifically in Exodus 3, 8 and 10 is this. I've come down to rescue my people from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. Now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And we know this story, right? Moses now having this encounter with God, not being able to deny that God is real, accepts his calling with no further dispute and goes on to heroically and faithfully live out what God has called him to. Except that's not what happens at all. Moses has questions. Now I want to tell you, questions are okay. Doubts are okay. It's true then, and it's true now. For those of you who don't wrestle with your faith, who don't have a lot of questions, and don't have a lot of doubt, that is wonderful. But for those of you who do, God is not scared off by those, and he doesn't discount you from being a member of his people. So Moses asks a few questions, but what we see as the story goes on is that his motive isn't just A questioning one. He wants out of the calling that God has given him. And I think that we can really relate to Moses here. I think we can can take his objections, his questions, and most of them we can imagine ourselves saying to God when we've understood what he wants from us as well. And so we're going to go through them one by one, but I, I want you to be thinking about how, how you would respond were you're in Moses' place or how you have responded to God when you've realized a calling that he has for your life. Because for us, we know there are at least two callings that every Christian has. Every single one of us is called to repent of our sins, to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and to follow him. Every single one of us is called to ask for forgiveness and to follow Jesus. But then also, every single one of us is called to some type of kingdom service. Some type of kingdom service. Maybe you're called to be a mother and a wife. And and you might wonder, is that something I'm capable of doing? Or you you might avoid that calling because it's so big. Maybe you're called to something else. Maybe you're called to singleness, and that's scary and frightening and difficult, and you can imagine yourself having some questions or objections. Maybe you're called to be a doctor, and and that amount of schooling is just very, very intimidating. Or maybe you're called not to be, and that's the only thing you've ever wanted to be, and it's hard to let something go. All of us have callings from God. So, I think we're going to see a lot of ourselves in how Moses responds. His first question to God is this. God says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. I'm going to use you to rescue my people from slavery. And Moses says, who am I to do that? I'm an 80-year-old shepherd. I haven't been to Egypt in four decades. I'm not the person to do this. And God's res- response is interesting. Moses says, who am I? And God doesn't say, well, you're Moses, and I've prepared you specially to be the one to do this. He doesn't say that at all. What God says is this. He says, I will be with you. And I think, that, I think that's something that a lot of us can relate to. Whatever it is that we've determined God wants from us is something that we are incapable of. Of doing, God, I can't do that. Who am I to step out and try to do this? Who am I to stand at a pulpit and preach to a church? Who am I to, to father or mother a child? Who am I to take on this important role that you've called me to? I'm not capable. And God's response is, I will be with you. It's not you that's important. It's me. It doesn't matter what you're capable of. It matters what I'm capable of. And so Moses' next question is very, very rational. He says, okay, you'll be with me, but God, who are you? I mean, the Egyptians believe in gods too. What makes you different? How do I know that you being with me means that this can be accomplished? And God responds by saying, I am who I am. He says his name is I am. You know that word Yahweh. In the Old Testament, you see it as Lord, but all in capital letters. That's the name for God being written down. God says, I am, I am. Now, we've wondered for a long time, about 3,500 years or so since this was was written down, since Moses had this encounter with the burning bush, people have wondered, what does that mean? God, who are you? Well, I am, I am. What does that mean? There are a lot of ideas, but here's, here's what I think it means. I think God is saying, I am the one who causes everything to be, You could say it this way if you wanted to. I'm the principle of existence. Or you could say it this way. I'm the one who made everything and on whom everything relies. So yeah, sure, the Egyptians have gods that they worship, but I'm the one who created everything. Whether those gods are real or not doesn't matter because I created everything. Everything. There's no one that's in my league. Everything exists because I allow it to continue to exist. I am who I am. In other words, God is saying this there's nothing I cannot accomplish through you. Whatever God asks of you to do, you can be absolutely certain that there is nothing that he cannot accomplish through you. Jesus puts it this way. He talks about if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, if God has called you to say to a mountain, go, the mountain will move. God can accomplish anything through you. So, that's pretty encouraging, I think. Moses Moses has another question, though. He says, okay, I know who I am, right? It it doesn't matter. It's it's that you'll be with me. And I I know who you are. You're the the one who's behind everything. You're the one who's created everything. But what if they don't believe me? So God says, I'm going to give you three signs. I'm going to give you three signs. And he tells Moses to take his staff and to throw it on the ground. And Moses does so, and the staff turns into a snake. Now, it says that Moses ran and was scared of it, and I love that that's present in the story because that's the most realistic thing in the world. If I threw my staff on the ground and it turned into a snake, I would freak out. But God tells him to pick it up, and he does. You want to talk about an example of faith, walking up to a snake and picking it up. And as he does so, it turns back into a staff. And then God says, if they don't believe that sign, maybe they'll believe this one. And he says, Moses, put your hand inside your robe. And so Moses does. When he pulls it out, it's white with disease. And he puts his hand back and pulls it out again, and it's well. In other words, God's saying with the staff, I am in control of everything. I'm in control of creation. With Moses' hand, he says, I'm the one who gives life who cures disease. And then God says, if they don't take either of those signs, maybe they'll take this one. I'll turn, the, I'll turn water from the Nile into blood. In other words, I'm over and above even the river that gives Egypt life. It's a pretty, pretty significant promise. And you see, there are signs for us too. They're not the same. I doubt you've ever thrown a staff on the ground and it's turned into a snake, but if you have, get it on tape next time because that would be amazing to see. But for us, the signs that we receive from the the presence and work of God are the changes that happen in us, the things that we find ourselves doing and accomplishing that we could not ever be capable of on our own. God is at work in powerful ways if we will allow him to work in and through us and the signs will be present you will accomplish or do things that were not you alone are not capable of perhaps a devotion or a loyalty or a faithfulness or an endurance that's just not coming from you Perhaps a perseverance when things are just so difficult you can't take another step, but God gives you what you need to keep going. There will be signs in the life of a person who commits to following Jesus. So Moses has his three signs. He's been asking questions up to this point and I want to I want to affirm it's okay. To ask questions. It's okay to have doubts. For some of you, again, that's not been something you've ever really wrestled with. God is real to you and you know it. And you don't have a wrestling match inside of you over it. For some of you, it comes up again and again. How can I know? How can I be sure? I can't see him. So how how can I have faith? And we wrestle. Right? Back and forth. We find reason, and then we find a question, and then we find an answer, and then we find another question. That happens to some of us, too. Up to this point, that's what Moses is doing. He's asking questions. If that's you, that's okay. God can handle them. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. But what isn't okay is what comes next, and it's rebellion. Moses gives an objection next. He understands the calling God has given him. He believes that God is real and he has heard what God has said about how God can do anything through him. And he says this in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. In other words, I can't. I can't do it. I heard everything you said, but still I can't do it. In verse 11, the Lord said to him, "Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord?" In other words, Moses says, "I I don't speak well. Even meeting you right now hasn't fixed that. I I don't speak while I'm not the right person for the job. And God responds, go. I'm going to give you everything that you need. And you can kind of hear it there, right? It it sounds like Moses is starting to tread on thin ice. Moses, who gave you the very ability to question the the calling I'm giving you? Who's given you the mouth that you're using to object to the calling? I'm not not going for that one, Moses. So then after Moses' objection comes what I can only call as a plea. In chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Moses says, Pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? In other words, Moses says, when all the chips are down, the thing that's behind all of it is, I just don't want to go. And we need to remember, this isn't a small thing that God is calling him to. Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years. He has a wife and at least one child, right? He's going to be giving up a lot to go to speak to the most powerful ruler in the world and say the slaves that your economy is based on, you need to let them go. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a terrifying thing. I think I'd be afraid to do that. I think that most of you would be too. But despite God's promises of faithfulness, of protection, of being with him, Moses says, God, please, send someone else. God, I know you're real, and I I know you've called me to do something, but but I just don't want to do that. God, I I know you're real, but but I don't want to switch professions because I'm going to make less money and I've I've spent all this time building up this career. It's just too much to ask for me to follow you into something else. Or God, I want to be married. It's too much for you to ask for me to be single. Or God, I... I want to to watch these things. I want to do these things. These are my hobbies. These are the books I read, the TV shows I watch, the movies I watch, the words I'm used to saying, the way I'm used to talking to people. I I don't want to give all that up. All of us are called by God to let go of things, to take things on, to step out in faith, knowing that he's with us, that through him we can accomplish them, or more correctly, he's going to accomplish them working through us. And as you, as you hear me speaking, I'm sure that some decision, some question, some thing has come into your life. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's, God, I know that you love me despite how many times I've turned away, despite how faithless I I've been, you've been faithful, but it's really not okay for you to ask me to have compassion on that person. God, I know that you've forgiven so much, but it's not okay to ask me to forgive this person. All of us have had those moments where God has called and we've said, please, ask someone else. Now, our situation is different than his, but it boils down to the same things. Moses needed to decide. He's he's seen God, right? He knows God is real, but he has to decide if he's going to obey and if he can trust God. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Deciding to obey, deciding to trust in the faithfulness of God to carry you through does not mean that you will have an easy time of it. You can read Exodus through Deuteronomy and see that Moses did not have an easy time of it. There's no promise in Scripture, none whatsoever, that if you obey the calling of God, your life is going to be easy. The promise isn't ease. It's that God will always be with you. The promise isn't a simple life. It's that the life that you will have if you follow and obey is infinitely greater than the life you would have if you didn't. We need to decide if we really believe that God is real. Now, we don't have a burning bush Maybe you do. Maybe you've had that experience, but most of us don't. We're told to follow Jesus. And it's harder in some ways because we can't can't see him. We don't hear that audible voice. If you're like me, you've thought, if God would just speak, if I could just hear the words come from the sky, then it'd be easy. And I, I think the story of Scripture tells us that just because people see and hear doesn't mean that it's easy. For me, the, the struggle that I had, the last time I really wrestled with if God was real and if I could trust him, not, not to follow a calling, but just, just did I believe those things? It was about a decade ago. I had actually just become a minister at Southside Christian Church. It was actually after my internship. I had several friends that were not believers, and I'd engage with them a lot. We'd talk about whether or not God was real, and it was one day in particular, one of them said something that just, it created doubt, but not the, not the kind of doubt where it's this, I wonder, but this kind of gnawing, terrifying, anxiety-ridden doubt. And I wondered, I really wondered, you know, God, are you real? A lot of people have wondered why I love church history so much. One of the reasons is because it's what, it's what brought me out of that time of questioning. Being able to read a a church father from the first century talk about knowing one of the apostles. Ignatius of Antioch was the first church father I read. And he talks about sitting at the feet of the apostle John and hearing from him his teachings about Jesus. And reading some of those other, other early, early church leaders and their experiences with the apostles... And realizing if this isn't true, then it's a conspiracy of such proportions that it's utterly absurd. Carried on generation after generation. A message, a gospel, a teaching without a break in the chain. And the people who were saying these things, the men and women who who declared them to be true, lived lives of such a caliber that the people around them were amazed. The doubt just disappeared. God was real to me, and I've never wrestled with that since. But that doesn't stop. It doesn't stop there. If God's real, then the next question is, do I trust him? And I hope that you believe that God is real. The next question for you is, do you trust him? Will he be faithful? Will the life you have, if you follow the call, Be better, greater than the life you'd have if you didn't. I hope all of you have taken that first calling to to repent of your sins, to ask for God's forgiveness, to be covered and forgiven by the blood of Jesus, to be adopted into God's family and to receive his Holy Spirit. That's step one, and it's so important. And then, what does God want from you. The callings are different in every person's life. What has God called you to do? You need to decide if you can trust God. You need to decide whether or not he's faithful. Because if he is, then it's time to obey the call. The sentence summary today was this. God is always faithful. And we can trust him more than we can trust ourselves. God is always faithful. No matter how many times you turn away, no matter how many times you object or give a reason why you don't want to do what he's asked you to do, we see it in the story of Moses. God does not abandon him. Moses, you've asked too many questions, you've made too many excuses, you're done. That doesn't happen. God remains faithful and then we know the incredible amazing life Moses leads because He follows a call. God is faithful to him. And I want to tell you today that God is faithful to you. Always, without exception. He never leaves. Even if everyone and everything breaks faith, God will always be faithful. And so what I hope you would do today is I hope you would think about your burning bush moment. Not just the one where where something has told you or something has encouraged you, where you've come to believe that God is real. I hope you remember when that started or you can look back to the reasons you have for that faith. I hope that's true. but, But what I want to encourage you to think about today is this. What has God called you to? And have you obeyed? Because if you haven't, I want to encourage you now is the time. Please pray with me. Father God, you are amazing. You are wonderful and holy. And we love and praise you. And Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us, embolden us, give us the faith and trust to follow you when you call. Lord, help us to not be burdened with anxieties or worries about this life. For this world. Help us to not be distracted by the things that are so attractive to us that do not honor you. Help us to repent of any sin which holds us back from following you and to recommit with incredible zeal to run after the calling you have given us. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.